we're looking at a section where he's dealing with problems, broadly speaking, concerning worship. He's been talking about worship thus far in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he's more specifically talking about how spiritual gifts are creating problems in worship there in Corinth. Uh, as someone who has lived through, and I'm purposefully putting that in the past tense, as someone who has lived through over the course of my ministry what we euphemistically call worship wars, contemporary versus traditional, which is such a bizarre phrase. You know, whatever I do in 2021 is contemporary. Uh, whether if it's chanting Greek right now or chanting Latin, it's still contemporary if I'm doing it in my life in this year. But we, we have to call this stuff something. So I was in church the other day, they call, their, they call it modern worship. Modern and traditional worship, whatever. I've kind of lived through the worship wars. Um, so it's easy for me to understand how people's personalities, people's theology, people's wishes, people's preferences, people's wants, people's backgrounds, uh, their experiences in life determines how they feel about just about everything. So uh, worship was even an issue in Corinth. Corinth is that city that is in present-day Greece. Uh, it was a port city. So if you can imagine like a New York City or Las Vegas or Los Angeles sort of balled up together and make, make, make it into a city that is a port city where the whole world's passing through. And uh, it's a Greco-Roman city, which means the Greeks, the Romans, they, they, they weren't Jewish. They didn't have Jewish morality. Uh, they had very different views of morality. Uh, they were polytheistic. They had a lot of gods. So planning a church in a cosmopolitan port city that had multiple temples, uh, the temple of Aphrodite had uh, probably 1,000 uh, cultic prostitutes associated with the temple. You can imagine how they viewed worship practice temple of Aphrodite that was in Corinth so there's there's it, it was a strange place hard place challenging place for Paul to plant the Christian gospel because they weren't Jewish to begin with so it wasn't like they already knew some of this stuff uh, they, they were Greco-Roman so he, he he planned the gospel there he stayed in Corinth the two places Paul stayed the longest was Corinth and Ephesus uh, maybe 18 months in Corinth he stayed there. The world passed by him while he was in Corinth. But yeah, they, he had to teach them a lot about being Christian because when they came to Christ out of the Greco-Roman world, uh, there was no delete button on those people. And they brought a lot of their pagan ideas with them. And um, um, they also had a problem with arrogance and pride that almost went with the Greco-Roman world. Uh, they were a very philosophical world. They, they, they prided themselves on their brilliance. Uh, Paul dealt with that in Athens. Uh, he dealt with it in Corinth. So anyway, uh, Paul in all of 1 Corinthians is dealing with problem after problem after problem. You remember earlier, if you were with me in chapters 10 and 11, they even messed up Holy Communion. Holy Communion became a time of rivalry and dispute. 
and debate, which again, I kind of understand it. I've been around church people for a long time. I've been around people for a long time. It doesn't take much. Uh, but so Paul's dealing with all these issues. Well, here the Holy Spirit uh, is who brings us into the body of Christ. Uh, that's what unites us with the body of Christ. That's what baptizes us in the Spirit of Christ. That's what makes us Christian as opposed to whatever else are the options out there. So the Holy Spirit brings us into the body of Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Uh, it's the presence of the living Christ in us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is who makes God real to us. Uh, so it's a great, great gift, this power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, and Paul is very clear that the Holy Spirit gives gifts um, to people. Uh, we talked last week and before on the podcast. We talked about uh, when Paul talks about gifts, he's not talking about fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Paul gives two different lists. Fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and following. That can be your homework. Fruit of the Spirit, stuff like peace, patience, joy, love, long-suffering, self-control. That's fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that's different from gifts of the Spirit. When Paul talks about gifts, which he talks about here in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about in Romans, he talks about in Ephesians, he's talking about specific gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to Christians. Um, for ministry. And um, the sad thing is the, the gifts aren't given to us for our own benefit, uh, for our own enjoyment, for our own edification and spiritual growth, though they help with that. The Spirit gives us these gifts for the sake of the body, uh, the body being the corporate body of Christ, the community of Christ, the people of Jesus. So that's why the gifts are given. And Paul in 1 Corinthians promises promises that every one of us that are in Christ, we have at least one gift, and that's not just a natural endowment. That's another thing. There's fruit of the Spirit. There's natural abilities. But these spiritual gifts that God gives us, that Paul's adamant about that God gives us, are gifts that are given to us for the sake of the body. Um, which, by the way, as an aside, we all have gifts that are meant for use in the body. Now, if any sort of false humility is keeping you from using your gifts for the body, uh, please know that's called disobedience. That's called sin. You know, if, if some sort of false humility keeps you from putting your gifts out there for the sake of the body, again, hear what Paul's saying. They're not for your sake anyway. It's not you doing it anyway. It's not just natural abilities that you've had since birth uh, being trained well. These gifts are given to Christians for the good of the body. And if you've got some false sense of humility, keep yours private because you just think you're not good enough to offer whatever gift it is God's given to you. That's coming out of a false sense of humility and a false sense of what these gifts are. Again, it's not you. Uh, it's God. So, you know, if you're, if you're exercising these gifts, which is what Paul's telling you to do, um, it's for the good of the body. Now, what was happening in Corinth... The exercising of the gifts was causing rivalry, was causing division. There were people who thought their gift was better than other people's gifts. Some gifts are a little more dramatic. You, you saw the list in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, none of Paul's lists are exhaustive. They're never identical, 
And, they're, and that leads us to believe they're not exhaustive. Uh, if you take the four places Paul lists gifts that the Spirit put them together, uh, you'll come up with a pretty substantial list of, of spiritual gifts, uh, but I'm sure there's others. I mentioned to you last week, I believe the gift of intercession is a, is a spiritual gift. Um, it's not mentioned as a gift, but I, I, we see it in the body of Christ. You know, we're all called to pray, but some people just have the gift of intercession, which means they pray more than the rest of us. They see more fruit from their prayers than the rest of us. That's a spiritual gift of intercession. Last week I mentioned the spiritual gift of evangelism. We are all called to share Christ, but there are people in the body of Christ that have the spiritual gift of evangelism. And I think what I told you is, you know, when Billy Graham was alive, he could, he could, he could read the phone book and people give their lives to Jesus. Uh, he had the spiritual gift of evangelism. So um, that's what we mean by these gifts. Uh, you need to discover yours. Uh, you need to offer yours. Don't let a false sense of humility prevent you from doing it. Uh, when you pay attention to what the list of gifts are, put the list together. I'll, I'll remind you what the list is here in First, First Corinthians 12. Uh, if, you, if you don't know which gifts you have, um, ask the people around you. Uh, they may know which gifts you have. And there are other gifts that's not here. Just And, and what happens in the body to get you back to Corinth? Sometimes our gifts irritate each other, which is sad. God has given these gifts for the body of Christ, but sometimes your passion for ministry irritates my passion for ministry. Sometimes I think you should have my passion for ministry. You think I should have your passion for ministry. In the body of Christ, sometimes what I've learned over the years in church life, people with the gift of administration... And people with the gift of mercy, sometimes they have a hard time getting along. They view situations differently. You know, um, and again, that's part of what's happening in Corinth. God has given these gifts to people in the body of Christ, and, and they are allowing, being who they are, because uh, Corinth was a mess. The church at Corinth was a mess. It's obvious in 1 Corinthians. That's why I say I take a strange sense of comfort anytime I study 1 Corinthians. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, just to kind of take you back a little bit, in this section, he talks in chapter 12, beginning at verse... Well, look at verse 7. He's talked about these gifts come from God. But those verse 7, because this is a promise that I want you to claim for yourself. Look at verse 7. To each... Each Christian to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, that's another way of looking at gifts of the Spirit. They're manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. And notice prom prom the promise here from Paul is that everyone's given um, a gift, at least one. I think he gives us multiple gifts, but you've got at least one. So don't, out of a false sense of humility, refuse to use whatever gift God's given you for the, for the good of the whole. So, and here's where he makes this listing of gifts. And again, this is not complete. Uh, we see it differ in other places. Uh, I think you go through and add all the list of the gifts of the Spirit together, and you get a pretty extensive list, but I don't think it's complete even at that point or exhaustive. So notice these, he's, he's, he's going to list nine gifts to you that the Spirit gives to Christians. Um, so if you look beginning at verse 8, for to one is given uh, the Spirit, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, the word of wisdom, maybe how your translation says, to another the word of knowledge, 
according to the same Spirit. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, as I defined it for you, is a gift from the Spirit where you have some wisdom, you're given the gift uh, of, of some wisdom or some knowledge that there's no reason you have it or know it, but God reveals it to you. Um, wisdom, we know that hopefully you know the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is information. You know, word of knowledge would be like if I'm sitting in a counseling situation and, and, and the Spirit just sort of spoke to me and said, Joe, sitting in front of me, Joe was abused by his father. And I, I've seen that happen where you just kind of know something that you really don't have a reason for knowing. You can, you can explain it however you want to explain it, but I've seen the looks on people and I say, um, were you abused by your father? They wonder how I know that. Uh, that would be an example of like a word of, that'd be a word of knowledge, just a fact imparted. Wisdom is knowing how to use knowledge. You know a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Our world is flooded with knowledge. We need more wisdom. You know, once we bring out on the table that piece of information, to keep my example going, that piece of information about being used by your father, then wisdom is what do we do with this now? How, how do you use this to make life better now? How do you, um, um, yeah. That's, that's a word of wisdom as opposed to a word of knowledge. Uh, Paul mentions those. You know, I've got knowledge, some of the knowledge I have, I got because I, I, I read voraciously. I've been to seminary. I, there's other ways I get knowledge, but what Paul's talking about here is a specific supernatural gift. So he mentions word of wisdom, mentions word of knowledge. Uh, verse 9, to another faith. Now, again, go back to my illustration about evangelism and intercession. All Christians have to have faith to come to Christ. But I know some Christians that they have faith to move mountains. Sometimes I have to stir up my faith. You know, I've had Christians, sometimes I've had Christians who have the faith to move mountains. They just, if God tells them, that we can do X, Y, and Z, they believe we can do X, Y, and Z. Again, all Christians have, have to have faith to come to Christ. Just like all Christians pray, all Christians do evangelism. But some Christians can have the gift of faith. And you probably know people in your life for whom faith comes easier. They can believe things that I really have to warm up to. And I've always had people in my churches that are ahead of me. They'll say, Jeff, we can do this. And um, that's a gift of faith. You know, Hopefully people are popping in your mind the gift of faith. Uh, that he lists it here as a gift of the Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. Now that obviously feels a little bit more like a spiritual gift. Gifts of healing. Notice gifts is plural. Healing can come in many different ways from God. You know, everything from prayer, laying on of hands, use of medicine. Uh, Jesus spit in the mud and, and put the poultice on people's eyes. Uh, gifts of healing. You know, some people in the body of Christ, their prayers, their presence, just bring healing greater than some of the rest of us are capable of doing. That's gifts of healing by the one spirit. Verse 10, to another working of miracles. Most of us assume that spiritual gift is, um, I mean, healing can be miraculous. Uh, but if you take healings out, all the other miraculous things that's left, um, that's, that's the gift of miracles. Some people's prayers can create those uh, better than other people's prayers create those. Uh, to another prophecy, you're going to learn in chapter 14 prophecies 
Paul's favorite gift. That's the gift he wants us to, um, if we have to make one gift preeminent over the others, it needs to be prophecy. And we'll have a lot of opportunity to talk about prophecy in the Bible is not telling the future. That's what Jeannie Dixon told you it was. Prophecy in the Bible is speaking the mind of God, knowing what God wants in a particular situation. We'll have a lot of time to talk about prophecy because that's Paul's favorite. He's going, he's going to really um, uh, elevate the gift of prophecy. We'll talk about that. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, that's the gift of discernment. You know, I've, I've often thought, I, I think my... I, I think I have the gift of discernment. I, t- I think I tend to read people pretty well. Um, that I, I think I do a pretty good job of knowing people's motivation. Sometimes it's hard in life to know if what's coming at you is from God or the devil. And sometimes it takes some wisdom. It takes a gift of the Spirit. Um, we all need to be able to discern all day long. You know, we all have to practice wisdom and judgment and knowledge. But some people, and I hope you've got some people in your life. I know who people are in my life that I think especially have this gift. These are people that I've I've made spiritual directors out of. Um, I've told you last week, I I know I got four ladies scattered around the southeast who pray for me each week on given days. Uh, I've got my spiritual directors, people that I know I go to. I mean, you know, I, I may think I have a gift of discernment. I've got one particular person in my life. I know he's got the gift of discernment. I, I can give him five minutes of my time, and he can help me figure things out. Um, so that's the gift of discernment, a uh, very important gift, particularly as, as the world gets more complicated, a very important gift. That's the ability to distinguish between spirits, gift of discernment, to another various kinds of tongues. In Corinth, like often happens, the gift of tongues tends to become a very public, discussed, controversial gift. That's why chapter 14, when we talk about tongues quite a bit. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, that's, that's when someone has been given the gift of tongues to bring a message to the body from God, the gift of an ecstatic utterance. Uh, the gift of interpretation is... Uh, the ability to say what it is God's saying to the body, the gift of interpretation. So right here, Paul is talking about about the gifts, the gift, the gift, the gift. And notice he says, uh, to another interpretation of tongues, he says, uh, to various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. There's at least two gifts of tongues most of us think we see in the New Testament. There's the gifts of, gift of tongues where God imparts a word to, to a group. You need an interpreter to, to interpret what that gift is, what's being said from God to the group. But then there's also just prayer language. That's a different kind of tongues. Paul's going to talk about that again in chapter 14. That's why we think we at least see that. That's why if you go to a charismatic Pentecostal setting, and last week we talked about, I gave you a brief run through the history of the Pentecostal charismatic renewal movement in the last 150 years, 121 years actually. Um, uh, you can go back and listen to the podcast. But if you go to charismatic or Pentecostal setting and you hear people using tongues in worship, you know, sometimes non-charismatics, non-Pentecostals will, will remember Paul's words here, and they say, where's your interpreter at? Well, if they know what they're doing, they'll say, this is a different kind of tongue. Uh, what you're hearing when interpreter is not present, what you're hearing is a prayer language. 
And I think I told you last week about uh, Miss Bumgardner and that, that sweet lady in that first Presbyterian church I worked in so many years ago. Uh, that Presbyterian church was as staid and conservative and as traditional as they come. And it was Miss Bumgardner who just, I, I know she was nurturing me as a fairly new Christian. I was doing youth ministry, but I was a fairly new Christian. And she told me that she had her prayer language. She did it in private prayer. Um, and in Presbyterian church, that's not something that happens in public worship. John Wesley believed in tongues as prayer language. But John Wesley said, what well, a lot of us, I agree with, it probably doesn't shock you, I agree with Mr. Wesley. I think, um, I think uh, it's better for private worship than public because it can be a little ostentatious and showy and attract attention to yourself when you do it in worship. I, I would suggest if you're in a very traditional church and you have a prayer language and you use it during worship, I, I would, and I've had people that, I would do it quietly in corporate worship at United Methodist Church. Uh, I had one of my members in one of my churches who had a prayer language. Uh, I would hear it when I served her communion at the rail. And her husband would be close to her communion rail would hear it. But she was not showy. She didn't let it become something that would be divisive. Because depending on the kind of church you're in, uh, if you use it in public worship, it can become divisive. But in Pentecostal charismatic settings, they will do a prayer language in worship. But that's, that's why I remember the first time I was ever with a group of my church folks uh, at a lay witness revival meeting, way up in Harmony, North Carolina. And we were there, and somebody was, a lay person was leading worship. And when that lay person slipped into her prayer language, you know how you know when people's looking at you? I was praying. I was, my, my whole row of people was looking at me. Because that was the first time they had heard that in a public setting. So we had a nice conversation in the church van on the way back home. Um, but yeah, and you need to, and that's part of what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians. The good of the body has to trump your personal use of your gift. But anyway, so that's why Paul talks about various kinds of tongues. There's prayer language. We get talked because tongues were an issue here, chapter 14, we're going to talk about it some more. So he talks about various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And then notice in verse 11, he says, these are all empowered by the same Spirit. So there's, there's an equality among these gifts. So you need to be careful to, and not do what they're doing in Corinth, that your gift is better than everybody else's gift. Some gifts are more public than others. Uh, and you need, in particular, they can become means of... Um, uh, Division. So I can do really the next chunk of this chapter very easily. Paul's going to paint a picture here, beginning at verse 12. It's one you're familiar with. Uh, he's going to paint a picture of the body of Christ, the Christian community, as a body. Paul likes to call the church the body, the body of Christ. So Paul's going to use this image, analogy, uh, this um, metaphor, to teach you something. Notice what he says, and we can do this pretty quickly. Um, he's giving you the gift of li He's giving you the, the list of gifts. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
for the hope you're drinking of that spirit, by the way. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If one foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I mean, if just imagine you walking down the road and you're just an ear. I mean, that looks weird. That looks weird. Um, nothing wrong with ears, but you can't just be an ear. It it just doesn't work. And that's you get what Paul's laying down here. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So when you use your gift, it's not you. God's calling that out of you. But uh, verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? He's painting you this um, odd-looking picture. You can't just be one part of the body. Uh, But he says in verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, he's going on. I think you get what he's laying down. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, uh, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And you have to use your imagination here, but you shouldn't have to use it much. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. I hope there's parts of your body you keep covered up. Uh, Paul is saying that to the Greco-Roman world in Corinth because they had a problem with that. I know the first time I ever took a group to Greece, and we looked at all the statues, all the museums. I finally had people say, Jeff, I'm tired of looking at male genitals. <laughs> that was the Greco-Roman world, but that indicated something about the Greco-Roman world. So Paul is saying there are parts of your body that are not, it's not that they're not important, it's not that they're not honorable, but you still need to keep them covered up. Uh, verse verse twenty four, which are our more presentable our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So let me wrap up. I think you pick up what he's laying down there. We all have been given gifts. Now, I don't want you calling anybody to mind when I say this, but I'm sure you know some people who think they're the complete package. You know, that's all that's needed is them. Paul is saying that's not right. It's not good. It's not beneficial. Notice just some basic implications here. He's talking about the body of Christ, the community of Jesus. Everybody's not part of this body. I just say that because contemporary Americans have a hard time with that. It's not that we hate the people who were down worshiping Aphrodite in the other part of Corinth, but Paul's convinced not all people are part of the body. We love everybody. We welcome everybody. You know, um, Paul would not say cannibalism, Nazism, polytheism. I mean, there's some things that 
are not part of the body. Uh, so Paul's saying, okay, we are a particular community in this world. We're the body of Christ. We need each other. Um, yeah, I don't have any staff in the room. That was my devotional for staff this morning. We need each other. Again, some people just want to do it all themselves. And, you know, unless I hear through the grapevine, I don't know what they're even doing because they're doing it all themselves. And that's some people, that's their, that's their nature. But we need each other. We need to involve each other. We need to empower each other. Uh, we need to learn how to come alongside of each other. We need the whole body. You know, if one part of your body gets out of whack, that's a theological term, by the way, if one part of your body becomes more predominant, becomes more significant, becomes more used, becomes more powerful than planned, you know, we have an English word for this. I'm sure Paul would have used it had he been doing English. You know what that word is? Dis-ease. Disease. So no one part, of, I mean, even cancer is, is cells multiplying beyond what you're supposed to. So, yeah, disease is when one part of your body becomes out of whack to another part of the body. We need the whole body, you know. Yeah, it, it would be a bizarre picture to see an ear walking down the street or a toe walking down the street. We need all parts of the body, even the parts that are covered um, are still important according to what Paul said. We need all the parts of the body. Uh, no, none of us are a complete package. We need all the parts of the body. Christ sees different things through different people's eyes. Uh, we all bring different stuff to the table. We have to learn to appreciate our different parts of the body. If you have a part of your body you don't appreciate, disease may set in. Um, so I think the image is masterful. And by the way, Paul's doing something here with this image of the body that was fairly typical in Greco-Roman rhetoric. You know, to talk about a body, we all need each other. You could use, you could, you could do the, you could do the image of an orchestra if you wanted to, symphony orchestra. You know, I mean, all the parts have to play in harmony, or it can be a mess. I remember for the musicians in the room. I remember when I was in college and. I made the mistake of taking a music appreciation course spring semester in the afternoon. <laughs> oh, it was painful. And I remember sitting there listening, and I love classical music, I love good music, but I remember Bella Bartok. Anybody know anything about Bella Bartok? Atonal music. It sounded like a racket to me. It still sounds like a racket to me. Uh, I, I like for harmony and stuff to not be atonal, but tonal. But, you know, normally you, you can use orchestra, you can use body. We're in this together. We have to be in this together. We're not, everybody's not part of the body. You know, you know, there was no illusion in Corinth that the people worshiping Jupiter, the biggest temple in Corinth was the temple of Jupiter. People who worship Jupiter were not part of this body that, that um, Jesus is talking about. There, you know, in, in Paul's world, particularly in Corinth, there was a clear distinction between Jews and Christians and pagans. Pagan just, it's not a bad word. Pagan just means you're not a Jew or a Christian. Some people joyfully accept the name pagan, which is good because sometimes I joyfully call some people pagans. Uh, I mean, if that's what you want, it's, it's not a pejorative term originally in Paul's world. It's just, yeah, if you're worshiping Jupiter, if you're up there on the temple for Aphrodite on the Acre Corinth, you're not part of this body. But if you're part of this body, we need each other. We need to function in a certain way. You can't think your gifts are better than somebody else's gifts, even though your gifts may be a little more flashy 
than other people's gifts. So, I think we get his image. I think we get his image. So what I'm going to do at this point, I'm finished, um, which you're always, involved, you're always welcome to interrupt me at any point. If I have to 